Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia. Routes 11 and 15, Ummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai, the best in new inventory. A great, a pre-owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. And a fabulous service that backs it all up every step of the way with great technicians, all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia. Roots 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Well, it's time to, now we've officially gone into summer, to get the first official rant of the day from a guy that's had a long weekend and too much time to think. (laughs) You know, that is kind of true, actually. But I'm going actually to horse racing today, Steve, because I'm not ignoring what happened from Bob Baffert yet again. But actually, this is, I'm not going toward him necessarily, I mean, I still think he deserves to be suspended because I still think he knew what he did. But at the as far as the Kentucky Derby is concerned and Churchill Downs for his suspension, if they felt that strongly about him, then why didn't they just give him a longer suspension in the first place? Or you stick with the suspension, and if he does it again with another horse, then you just punish him again. I don't get why all of a sudden they're just coming out of nowhere to extend this suspension because that looks dumb. To me, it's either you do it all in one shot or you just keep doing it as he, as he might continue to break the rules. This extending thing, I don't really understand. That's what I don't get. It's not that Bob Baffert doesn't not deserve it. He does deserve it. But I just don't get the timing of all this on Churchill Downs' end. I just think that's, that's what is a little bit of a head-scratcher to me. It's either you suspend him big time right away or you keep punishing him as and if it comes up. I don't get the timing of it. Well, they suspended him. And as far as I'm concerned, when somebody's done with their suspension, it's up. There has to be a reason why um, they extended it and they can't come up with a reason other than we just want to keep suspending him. For what? Well, we set a suspension. He served it. It's over. Right? Now, if there are something else that comes up, then there are, you know, you lay out to them that, hey, look, here, you know, this happens again. Here are the consequences again. But if it's a suspension for the same thing, you just can't say, now, you know what, we decided we're going to suspend you again. We're going around like, for what? I already served the suspension. That's the part I have a problem with. And that's pretty much where I stand. Yeah. 
So that was one thing. I think that came down one Monday. I was like, really? Kind of got me going a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? I mean, it's like... Well, the second thing is, did you see either highlights or whatever happened in the uh, in the Cubs-Brewers game yesterday? Cubs come back and won in extras at Miller Park. I don't know. Did you see the game or see the highlights? Did not. Okay. No, I, I was so, working yesterday. So the Cubs come back and win the game in extras in Milwaukee. But David, but you go to if you listen to David Ross's press conference alone, it's like they lost the game. Now, I guess there I, I didn't see these plays in general. I did apparently that he there was an argument whether uh, there was that base running issue again. It was was there interference on a controversial play in the later part of the game? Even though the Cubs still came back and won, that went against them. They were arguing balls and strikes again, which I've I've already given my dispute about that. But then, so he's going on and on about that. So that's one thing. But, and then the second thing is, he's going off about how they had the roof closed because they were trying to get rid of the shadows. Dude, you're not the home team. I'm sorry. Sometimes the home team gets some of those advantages. That's why they call it home field. Who cares what they do? You still won the game, and even so... If shadows or no shadows is going to determine you from winning a game, you got more issues. So this guy, he was just all over the place yesterday. And the guy still won the game. His team still won the game. Whatever happened on the field is one thing, and I guess you still want to comment about it even if you win. That's fine. But then you go off about that, and you go off about something as stupid as they close the roof? I mean, come on, man. Total violation. You won the game. Shut your mouth. And enjoy the victory. That's what Andy Reid used to say. Just enjoy the win, man. Enjoy the win. Like enough. Hasn't your manager been thrown out of five games? Yes, but those have been just. Most of them have been justifiable because it's the umpires again trying, are trying to, you know, be in their their own selves and not being able to take any criticism during a game even when they make a bad call or not but this day but what David Ross did was completely over the top and plus he already got one guy there was one his first base coach got thrown out over a balls and strikes argument and then he comes out and then gets tossed like no once you see one guy get thrown out just move on whether the umpire is right or wrong so like he was all sorts of wackadoodle yesterday David Ross hasn't your guy been thrown out of five games this year? He has, yes, but not in this way that David Ross has done. At least he's not complaining about the roof being closed. I mean, good lord. I mean, cut me a break. Your guy leads the league in being thrown out. Again, in his case, it's just umpire entitlement that got to him. That got him thrown out. David Ross was just acting like a banshee yesterday. There's a difference. Well, the team blew a four-run lead. They they did. You're right. So they, I get there was some have... frustration there, but they still won the game. Yeah. And what could and all these games are critical in the NL Central with everybody pretty much on their toes because everybody stinks in that division. 
You won the game. Just stop. You guys have been throwing out of five games this year. That's a <laughs> I, lot. Yeah, I get it. But not to this extent. He was out of line yesterday, David Ross. I'm sorry. Your guy's been out of line five times. They threw him out. That's not good. No, senor! No, senor! No, senor! Sad. Well, all right. Five's a lot, don't you think? Five be a lot for the season. It's a little much, yeah. But you know, a little much. How about like none? How about like the like you know, you know? Don't don't sit there and tell your players to keep their poise when you can't. Umpires also need to get over themselves, too, but I, I, I get your point as well. Yes. I think, there's fault, I think there's fault on both sides. Umpiring is a very difficult job. It's not an easy job. Not in the least. Right? Are there mistakes? Yeah, there are mistakes. And guess what? For those who are advocating for robo-umps, they, the robo-umps make mistakes. It's one of the reasons why I don't think you see it in the majors at this point is because it's been inconsistent in the Atlantic League and other places using it. Umpiring's hard. Bang, bang plays, balls and strikes. And to all of you who have gone out and have been the last second. Hey, we need somebody to umpire this little league game. Could you just stand behind the pitcher and call balls and strikes? How often have you stood there behind the pitcher and go, "Okay, yeah, it's a strike." Mm, that's probably a ball. <laughs> Meanwhile, these guys on the major league level, experts at it, have to do it instantaneously, and then when everything comes into play. They have to put up with, I mean, a lot in terms of complaints and what other people think about the, quote, job that they're doing. So it's not an easy job at all. Officiating anything is not easy. And there are a lot of people that end up getting out of it because they just don't want to put up with it anymore. And it's not putting up with the fans a lot of times, especially on the lower levels. They don't want to put up with the parents. As your boys grow older, there are going to be many of the officials going to hear the wrath of you. <laughs> well, no, because parents do annoy me a lot just from covering these said games. So, no, I, I will make sure I don't get to that level. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> That's a promise I made to myself, and I will make to my kids should they get involved in Little League or whatever. Uncle Steve, 
Daddy lied. He freaked out last night. <laughs> Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's going to be... I mean, there are a lot of people who are getting out of it. And if you listen to Gene Steratore and Mike Pereira, who have both been working behind the scenes to try and recruit as many people as possible into officiating, they will tell you how much they are struggling to get people to officiate. I've already told the story several times about California. And California... Uh, high school football, they end up playing a couple nights a week. Why do they end up playing a couple nights a week? Like Wednesdays and Fridays. Because not because they're just trying to spread the wealth out. No, 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 no. They don't have enough officials to go around, so the officials that work on Wednesday end up working on Friday. That's the big reason why they end up splitting some of the uh, high school football season out there between Wednesdays and Fridays because they don't have enough officials. Not good. And officials will tell you they get out of it because of the parents. And I told the story about the high school girls coach in western Pennsylvania, 38 years coaching in the western part of the state, winning a couple of state championships along the way. Right? Loves the kids. The parents are the ones that drove her out. Okay. That's not fun. It's not fun at all to have to deal with that. And now the you know so they get the umpires on this level. I got to deal with the fans. I got to deal with the players. I got to deal with the with the managers. You know. Everything they do is scrutinized. Right. Then they've got some talk show host that refers to them as dopes. I'm trying to think who that is. Oh, my almighty! Hey, who wants to do that? All right. Take a break. We'll come back. What, Neil's today? What, 235 we got, Neil? Correct. Wonderful. We'll talk to Neil Kulong today. Great to have you with us. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Want to work for a stable yet growing company? Got it. Want to work for a family-owned business with over 100 years' experience in taking care of customers and employees? Got it. Want to work for a leader in selling more cars and satisfying more customers? Got it. Who has all that? SMC Sunbury Motor Company is looking for technicians across all their departments. Whether you're an entry-level technician, an experienced technician, or someone looking for a career change, Sunbury Motors would love to hear from you. They're looking for technicians for their quick lane, car and light truck service, heavy truck service, body shop, and frame and alignment division. You can apply online at sunburymotors.com, in person at our North 4th Street location, or call Todd at 570-286-7746. Your new career of working on Fords, Kias, Hyundais, Western Star trucks, plus anything that fits in the door, and some things that don't. Join Sunbury Motors. Your new career is waiting for you. Have you with us on the show today on this Wednesday? 
One of the slower times of the year. I mean, baseball, you know, it's, I mean, the big story is like who's in an all-star, who's not, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I got it. Um, but the other than that, there really isn't a lot going on. Yeah, the summer league's being played. Free agency's essentially played out. I thought the Sixers got a good pickup in Patrick Beverly. That's fine. Um, good backup point guard can play. Uh, brings a lot of emotion to the table. Uh, has some good performances and has some performances where you sit back and go, really? <laughs> you sure about that? Okay. All right. Um, but that is, you know, so there's not a lot going on. It's a dead period in recruiting right now for college football. So there's a lot of stuff like that. Uh, and it's, you know, the NFL hasn't started yet. Training camps aren't until the end of the month. Penn State's training camp is uh, like three and a half weeks away. You'll have media days at the end of the month. But other than that, pretty slow. Pretty slow going right now. Uh, and in all this, I want to talk about an article. My friend John Affleck, who is the night chair at Penn State, wrote an article for Forbes. Um, about the fact that in name, image, and likeness and in the transfer portal how the um, how the amateur model has been destroyed And the NCAA's contention has been, well, that will then reduce the interest in college sports by fans. And it turns out in the past year you've had higher ratings and for the first time in eight years, attendance in college football actually increased. Tell you about John's article coming up. Any more complaints from you? Anything else? As always, the afternoon is young. I mean, the Aaron Boone of Northumberland County. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. All right, here we go on the show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, almost wharf and online. At SunburyMotors.com. Ford Key Hyundai, best in new inventory, great pre-owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee, and a fabulous service department that backs it all up every step of the way. At Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf and online. At SunburyMotors.com. Dick in Milton has been patiently holding. Hello, sir. Welcome. Try that one more time. I know Dick and Milton has been patiently holding. So I sir, think we welcome. lost him. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully back, we'll Dick. get him back. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get get him back shortly here. 
Apologize for that, Dick. Didn't mean to wait, make you wait so long. So John Affleck at Penn State, my friend, wrote this article in Forbes about um, uh, college sports and the thought process um, that people have had, you know, the thought process the NCAA had that has not come to fruition. the way they thought it would. The argument by the NCAA, Seth Waxman, who's the attorney for the NCAA, who I believe is still looking for his first legal win on behalf of the NCAA, I believe, um, argued that by breaking up the amateurism model, Uh, you would ruin college sports. And believe me, do I hear from people? Well, look, I you know I've gone out. I've already made what I don't know, seven or eight speeches in the last two months. I mean, I've been doing that, and part of it is I will take. Um, questions from the audience. You know, and let's let's face it, this comes up all the time. Um, about name, image, and likeness, about the transfer portal, things like that. And that has been. You know, and I get asked about the transfer portal. You know, and people get a little squeamish about that. I get asked about NIL. Fans get squeamish about that. Um, and I understand all that. I understand all of that. Yet, it is not. For example, dampening attendance. Attendance went up for the first time since 2014 in college football. First time since 2014. Attendance went up. And did we get Dick back? Okay, hey, we'll get Dick first and we'll talk about this. Hi, Dick. How are you? Welcome. Steve, Steve how are you? I'm doing well. It's great to talk well, to you, my friend. Well, I was listening to your officiating thing, and I had two two little comments there. I know I've, I mentioned this before about college basketball, and you see a lot of it. You see a lot of games. Maybe you, I just think that the officials will officiate two halves differently, and it always irritates me. To me, a foul is yeah. a foul in the first minute or the 40th minute or 39th minute. And and, oh, and, yeah. and I don't think kids necessarily know how to play a second half of a basketball sometimes. Uh, I do not disagree with you. I mean, it's, and I don't understand how you know. I mean, obviously, a baseball strikes one thing, but I just don't understand 
why they do that. I think they go in the locker room and, do, and think, well, you know what, we're not really doing this right. Uh, they're call, either calling fouls or they're not calling fouls. I, so I, I just agree don't. With I, you. That's the thing I don't understand, and you see it. And that's my comment on that. And the other thing I wanted to tell you about Little League. One time I was mowing grass, and they came to get me to umpire, and I did home plate. And the home team, my team was a, had 18 to a three in the fifth inning of a sixth inning game. And I, and it was a play at third base and I ran down there and called the guy out and, and I turned my back and I guess he, he dropped the ball. Anyhow, they started yelling at me to appeal it. And I said, I'm not appealing it. The team's off the, like, motion that was a third out. Most of them off the field. I told them, don't ever ask me to do this again. Yeah. <laughs> team runs exactly. with one inning to go and you're bitching about a dropped play at third base. And I guess that was my, that was my big thing about umpire, and I just and I knew all those people. It kind of irritated the heck out of me that day. And my yeah. other thing is, do you think that this portal will actually, maybe in the long run, really ruin mid-major athletics? Um, I think what's going to happen is most of the movement, most of it, is uh, high major to high major. Now, has Penn State benefited from mid-major up? Yeah, because look at Jalen Pickett, Siena, Penn State. Now, Andrew Funk, there's only a limited number of graduate programs at um, at Bucknell. And so he didn't play his extra year at Bucknell. But I think there's going to be a replenishing. Uh, that's one of the reasons, though, I think that you see a lot of coaches on the mid-major level, mid to low-major level, hesitant to play Power 5 teams. They want the money, but they don't want to showcase their players. And that's a problem. And, and you know, why do I want to play you? Because you're sitting there scouting my guy. Great. Uh, but I don't think I think there'll be enough players out there that will want to go, and most guys are not going to go one year and then transfer up. Most coaches want to see a little more of a sample size um, from somebody before they go get them. So I think mid majors will end up being fine, but there'll be movement. And nobody moves down to a mid-major, as you know. They only move up. Well, you get the kid out of Lafayette this year, looking for his fifth year, the shooting forward, basically. Right. Um, but I have no, I have no problem with somebody searching for a fifth year someplace. They already gave you three to four years. I'm not. Yeah. I have no, well, I have no problem with that. I understand that, but it's just I don't know what's going to happen down the road. Baseball. Um, and you know, when his kids are playing summer ball here, they're playing summer there, ball there, and these coaches are there from other bigger schools, you know. And, uh, you know, you hate to lose kids. You put, oh, put a little bit of time in getting them to come to your school, and then all of a sudden, are they coming back this, this year, you know? Well, see, and you make a really good point because the coach is sitting there and they throw their hearts and souls into get, getting you to come. Come on, let's go. Go, come on, come to our place. Be a part of our program. Be part of our family, our culture. And then after a period of time, the player looks at him and says, okay, I enjoyed your family and your culture. We're done. <laughs> and it's like, great. You know, we threw all that in for nothing. Great. 
Well, I'm going to let you go. I do know that I do know one thing that they do have a hard time attracting anybody that wants to officiate at the lower levels anymore. The high school, mid, oh, no. uh, junior high school, they're having trouble attracting people that want to do it. And that a lot of that's just the parents yelling at them all the time and bitching at them. I do know that happens. Uh, yeah. I, I don't. I just don't do it. Uh, and the other thing that bothers me, another thing, you'd have to ask your wrestling people about this is. They made 13 rule changes or 12 rule changes. I think officiating officials might get tired of sometimes of all the rule changes every year. I'm just thinking well, that. I, I, maybe not. Maybe they don't. It's no, sometimes it's harder to officiate a wrestling match if you all of a sudden have 11 more changes. Well, it's not just rules changes, but what what's the point of emphasis? Whenever I talk to an official in football or in basketball before the season, you know they'll bring in Big Ten officials to officiate a scrimmage. And then they'll bring in big, uh, big ten officials to officiate uh, the exhibition game, and I'll yeah. pull them aside after each one and say, "Hey, look, what's the point of emphasis this year? Not just the rule change, because usually there's a couple of subtle changes that happen in, in college football, college basketball. Now this is going to be a big year for wrestling rule changes, no question, including the takedown rule. Uh, but for the most part, it's for the with football and basketball, it's the point of emphasis. What is being told to them that, hey, look, you had better watch out for this. This is what we are watching out for. For example, the crackback block, something like that. Block charge in basketball, something like that. So, I mean, that, that's do, more a bigger thing. I do know sometimes in basketball, they stress it for about the first four, five, six games, and then it kind of goes by the wayside. Oh, they, well, they, they, they claim that when they do a major rule change, they claim they want to look at a thousand games. Well, a thousand games is every level, divisions one, two, and three. So usually by about December fifteenth, a thousand games have been played. And then after December fifteenth, it seems to revert back to the way they were doing it before. <laughs> yeah. Well, Steve, it's nice talking to you on your new schedule. <laughs> hey, hey, Dick, it's great talking to you on the new schedule too. See you later. Thank you. Yeah, um, no, he makes good. You know, makes good points. Yeah, and again, I can I can see you know, Macatrillo dad. Like, I mean, I I think I, I think at some point you're going to get tossed. I do. <laughs> if it were to happen every once in a while, yeah, I probably wouldn't be shocked about that. You people are stupid. <laughs> stupid, I tell you. Okay. Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. Ah, yeah. So here we go. Um, Here's what John wrote in Forbes. Last season, you know what, what I'll do is instead of getting into this now, I'll start after the break. So we'll take the break now on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Sunbury Motors Kia Routes 11 and 15 Hummel's Wharf. So my friend John Affleck, who's the night chair at Penn State, wrote an article for Forbes, and he in the article he says, last season attendance for major college football games rose for the first time since a slide began in 2014. 
March Madness on the women's side set a bunch of new television ratings marks, including a final that drew 9.9 million viewers. The trend of increased interest in college sports continued this spring. College Baseball World Series, the Women's Softball World Series, the Men's Lacrosse title games all enjoyed bumps in the ratings. Why mention all this, John writes? Because two years and a little bit of change after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled 9 nothing against the NCAA in a fight with the people who play college sports, opening the door to compensation for the use of athletes' name, image, and likeness, the data is showing that key, the key NCAA argument about the very sports it governs was wrong. Now, I know you're all surprised by this. I know you're surprised. Back in 2021, ESPN report, and John Affleck, this is an article in Forbes, Back in 2021, ESPN reported at the time that the NCAA's lead attorney, Seth Waxman, argued before the Supreme Court in the NCAA versus Alston case, that's the one that ended up 9 nothing. that the unpaid status of college athletes was a major attraction for fans. To paraphrase, college sports fans wanted to see players competing for the love of the game and the glory of their alma mater, and athletes having a financial benefit tied to playing would dilute the product on the field and impact attendance and ratings. College sports would become pro sports, only not as good as pro sports, and the fans would turn away. But fans aren't turning away, as John writes. That's exactly what's not happening. John does point out there could be a lot of reasons for the trend that fans return to sports after COVID-19, the pandemic, yeah. Big brands are doing well, true. But the fact remains that attendance for FBS football, the top division, rose 5%. Then there was the run of ratings bonanzas in uh, in the lesser sports as well. The news cycle runs in overdrive all the time these days. So it's easy to forget about the NCAA was wrong in predicting the direction fan interest in college sports would go in an NIL world. But it's worth taking a moment to think about why that has happened. So what John Affleck did was he decided to get the viewpoint of Larry Olmsted, who's the author of Fans, How Watching Sports Makes Us Happier, healthier and more understanding. You didn't make the book. You don't seem happier and you definitely don't seem understanding. <laughs> in some cases, yeah. Or in most cases, Olmsted, I should say. Olmstead's take is that fans began to accept amateurism at the highest level of sports simply wasn't financially feasible once the Olympics went professional. There's a big jump from a U.S. men's ice hockey team of college kids upsetting the Soviets and then the Finns to win the gold medal in 1980 at Lake Placid to the Michael Jordan-led dream team of 1992. Even at the time, the miracle on ice, amateurism was under pressure. Part of what sparked the euphoria among Americans at beating the Soviets was that the Russians were a pro team. Everybody knew it. Everybody. The Olympics, oh, no, they're amateurs. Like, excuse me, like, like, how much whiskey have you had today? Like, come on. 
Another point, Olmstead noted that as a child, you really don't choose your teams. They are chosen for you, based on where you're born or what your parents believe in. In that way, he added, sports are a bit like religion. Now, in your family, is your father, your family's what? Yankee fans, Phillies fans, Eagles? I, I've created the, the precedent because my parents really weren't huge sports people. But my mom came from Giants, Mets, Rangers. That was pretty much it. All right, so you decided to go with, with the, the city of, like, not-so-brotherly love. Great, okay, love it. That's <laughs> uh, a lot of fun people down there. But when it comes to college, the students heading to, quote, big state university this fall had some say in that decision. And from the moment those freshmen attend their first football game to the time they hit the 25th reunion weekend and beyond, they are tied to that school and those teams. So their college sports teams are their team in more of a sense than I think any other team because they chose to go there and they lived it. Remember I talk about how you uh, in recruiting, you go to a school, you sell it, but if you're a graduate of the school, you share it. Okay? I've talked about that forever. This is particularly in an industry, so whether or not college athletes receive some kind of compensation, particularly in an industry where the highest paid coaches make $10 million a year, is basically immaterial for fans because coaches, athletes, students in the stands and alumni all in some way represent the same institution. And John Affleck then ties it together at the end, which brings us back to explaining why the NCAA was wrong. Because college sports fandom isn't about chasing some purest ideal of amateurism. It's about being true to your school. Now, the one area I would bring up to John, and I did, I emailed him about this, texted, emailed him, whatever, um, is that I also feel like playing a role in the general interest. I mean, you cannot say that the gambling doesn't play a role in this in terms of driving even more interest toward the games. But you can sit at home and watch all these games. The fact that they're going to the games means something. Uh, when you talk about uh, the $9.9 million, let's face it, star power means something too. Caitlin Clark gave star power to the NCAA championship game against LSU. But at the end of all the speeches I have made this year, I talk about, and with complete sincerity, because as you know, I've talked about it before, I'll tell the people in the room what you, the fans, mean. And about the commitment seven times a year in the fall and everything that they have to do to get there to be a part of the game and in a world where you have all these entertainment options, you choose Penn State football. And you buy the groceries and you buy the gas and you fight the traffic and you get in the parking lot and you set up the tailgate and, you know, yeah, you have a great time. And then you greet the team and you go in and you cheer. Then you come out and then it's over and you spend time after the game talking and enjoying but then you got to pack up and then you got to fight the traffic again then you got to buy more gas and it's a great commitment you're listening to